Code Wins, Episode 7. An interview with Forrest Norville of NPM Inc., where we discuss ES6 and how the community can help shape the outcome of our favorite language, JavaScript. Welcome to the Code Wins Podcast, where we cover leading edge web developer news and training with an emphasis on Node, JavaScript, and HTML5. My name is Jeff Barcheski, and I'm here to help you navigate the winds of change. In this episode, I interviewed Forrest Norville of NPM Inc. at JSConf 2014 in Amelia Island, Florida. Forrest and I discuss ES6, the standards process, and his ideas on how the community can get started now to shape the language and adoption of ES6. The links and show notes for this podcast are available at codewinds.com slash seven, as in episode seven. Let's get started. Thanks for joining me here at, uh, at JSCom for uh, to find out what's uh, what's going on with your uh, with your uh, talk and with uh, what's going on with the new uh, the new job and everything else there at uh, NPM. All right, so uh, I'm happy to be here, and uh, my talk is going to be about. Actually, it's not going to have a whole lot to do with my new job. My new job is that I just started about a month and a half ago at NPM Incorporated, the company that supports the development of the uh, NPM package manager for Node and also actually more significantly the uh, the registry that support that that backs the command line client. Uh, my job there is basically to deal with all the stuff that Isaac Schluter, the CEO and original author of NPM, uh, doesn't have time to do anymore. So I work on the command line client and I work on chunks of the registry infrastructure uh, for our paid offering because we are driving very quickly towards actually being able to make money. Okay. Um, my talk is actually going to be about the process. You know, this year is the year that the ES, the ECMAScript 6 standard will be ratified. It's the biggest change to the JavaScript language, probably the biggest single set of changes ever made to the JavaScript language uh, since the failure of the ECMAScript 4 standard, you know, six or yeah, seven years right. ago. Yeah, that was a big, that was a and, big thing. And there was a lot of trepidation within the larger JavaScript community about uh, how that is all going to play out and whether we may or may not see a, a repeat of the experience we have at the S4. And I talk both about the processes that have been put in place to keep that from happening, talk a little bit about how well that has or hasn't worked in, pro, uh, in practice, and then really the bulk of my talk is basically talking about uh, how we as a community are both empowered and responsible for making sure that that transition to ES6 is a smooth one. Right. Yeah, I, think, I agree with that. I think that's uh, that's so true, and it is a big it is a big change. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot in the ES6. It's exciting stuff. I mean, we've been yeah. waiting for this kind of stuff for a long time. So, and I know you've got some kind of some 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 ideas and things on how we as a community might be able to, uh, to help that. Yeah, and so one of the things I talk about is we've had an interesting development since uh, ECMAScript 6 started its development process, which is the rise of community standards. Uh, that kind of grew out of originally, um, you know, Doug Crockford wrote the good parts and said, right. you know, here's yeah. a blessed subset of JavaScript that it is it is safe to use. And at the same time, we had John Rezig, uh, 
putting together jQuery, which in a way kind of became a, a quasi standard of its own for you know how to safely deal with the DOM in a, a cross-browser kind of way. Yeah. But since then, we've actually seen things that are are you know more or less formal standards that just aren't hosted by a standards body. Yeah, and right. one of the most significant examples of that is uh, the Promises A plus standard. Right. Uh, you know, lots of different implementations of some notion of like, well, asynchronous computation is a huge part of JavaScript. And for whatever reason, the language itself doesn't support that very yeah. well, right? And so, you know, if you're involved in the Node community, you know that there it's basically a spectator sport to, to bike shed about control flow. Yeah. And yeah. Promises have emerged as one of the ones that are the easiest way for newcomers to thinking asynchronously to, to build right. like composable code bases. Right, right. And uh, so there were all these different implementations. You know, there was one in jQuery, there were a bunch of others. And eventually an effort kind of coalesced around uh, Chris Cole and the Q library and a few other implementations to turn this into an actual standard. And we went through, you know, promises A and then promises A plus, and there's actually promises B, C, and D for doing like further refinements of, of promises. Uh, and so now we have an actual thing that existed that basically TC39, the committee that sponsors the development of ECMAScript, could just import wholesale into the language. Yeah. And what's interesting to watch is the tension uh, between this this kind of pre-existing standard that was defined by a fairly closed group out of the spotlight, and see how that deals with the introduction to uh, to language standards committees. Because I mean, I don't know how much experience you have with language standards bodies. No, 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 no. But like, they are are. are terrible in the same way that dinosaurs are terrible lizards right like like they are they are awesome and they are also potentially very destructive okay and uh right, like right. the people who have watched the evolution of java over the years and watched the development of c plus plus and even the fourth programming language if you're old enough to yeah, remember yeah. that like right. these standards committees get in there and like this very interesting kind of discourse takes hold where you've got people who are um, like who have their thing that they want to get in there, and yeah. when they're when they're big, when they're on a big public stage, there's even more of these stakeholders. Like as opposed to like the small group of people who share a common focused interest. Yeah. everybody's got something. And then with promises, it was very interesting to yeah. watch because there was a small, like very active core of people who wanted to bring in some ideas from the. Uh, typed functional programming community. In particular, they were like, if you change how promises are unwrapped, so if you pass a promise, a promise, then in promises A plus promises, those promises get unwrapped and are you return the actual value. Yeah. Uh, if you don't do that, then you can do what's called a flat map operation. Uh -huh. uh, and you can have these things behave monadically. And that's got some nice principles mathematically, but that doesn't actually ship software, right? So you have to right. ask yourself, like, what is the real value of this? And it creates new styles of composition. Uh -huh. And once you've actually put things in terms of monads, you've got something that you can then use uh, all the different monads with the same with the same syntax. So if you know anything about the Haskell programming language, yeah, right. like that, that allows you to use a bunch of syntactic sugar that treats all this stuff and makes it look imperative, even though it's actually not. Like the whole thing about monadic promises is that they are imperative looking code that is actually asynchronous and in many cases lazy. Yeah, excellent. So like yeah. that is one example of like yeah. you bring this thing in there. So there's this huge war and it went on for <laughs> months. Right. Uh, and they eventually had to arrive at a compromise. And that compromise touches on 
the biggest difference between ECMAScript 6 and ECMAScript 4. ECMAScript 4 was basically stakeholders, by which I mean mostly implementers, okay. uh, going off and building out this thing on their own and bringing it back to TC39 for ratification after the fact. Uh -huh. While at the same time, TC39 was also trying to do ECMAScript 3.1, which is evolution of the standard. Okay. And what ended up happening was, well, they're, they're like, well, we need these things for 3.1. And then people working on other things for four point they had to reconcile all this stuff because obviously you couldn't have stuff that was in three point one not be in four point oh. Uh huh. Yeah. And it turned into a giant log jam. And so Alan Ward Sprock and Brendan Ike and some of the other stakeholders had to salvage, you know, ECMAScript five out of that. And then they're like, yeah. okay, this cannot happen again. Right. And so that's where the notion of Harmony, which has been described as being the next version of JavaScript for a while now, came yeah. from. Yeah. But Harmony is really more of a philosophical framework. It basically says you can't break the web. There has to be an, an implementation. And actually, as we move on to the ES7 standardization process, which mm -hmm. has actually already begun. Okay. Uh, there has to be a champion for each feature and it has to go through kind of like a notion of, of but you know, like call for comments, get the comments, get the feedback from there, then still have a last call. Something yeah. a little bit more similar to like the IETF standardization okay. process. Yeah. But also people have to be able to basically call Harmony and throw the brakes. So if the discussion gets to the point where it's going, it's going to threaten the, uh, stakeholder consensus, then basically you're like, okay, that, that does not meet the standards of Harmony. We're going to have to put a pin on this and either punt it down the road to ES7 or find another way to bring parts of it into ES6. But either way, we have to maintain that consensus. The consensus is the most yeah. important part of this process. Okay. Right. And by and large, that's actually worked. Uh -huh. um, so we haven't had this same the same process. And also, we've actually produced a number of really useful artifacts. And I think the one that most is most effective as uh, a standard, I mean, as, uh, for the community, is this notion of uh, Test 262. Okay. So, for those who don't know, ES262 is the formal name for the ECMAScript standard. Okay. ECMAScript is a version specification that is then implemented in one or more versions of the JavaScript language. All right. And. Uh, test 262 is a conformance test suite. And you can't use that in lieu of uh, specification because there are aspects of the semantics of a programming language that just don't fit comfortably in the form of tests. Yeah. And so test 262 is a way for people to like try and like use this stuff in practice and point out holes. And then feedback into the standardization process. Since it's now hosted on GitHub, you can just open a pull request against it with tests, and then oh, right. it can be folded. So it's a direct way for yeah. people who are consumers of this specification to participate in the development of the standard itself. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah. So take a step back. Why am I talking about all this stuff? <laughs> because a lot of people that I know, who, especially in the Node community, have a lot of concerns about uh, ES6 and about the fact that they think that it's too much or features of it are wrong-headed. There's a lot of concern, particularly around the new module specification yep. and the module loader specification. There's concerns around uh, uh, some of the, like, like there are, people are starting to implement bits of this and they're finding problems with, with okay. some of the standard stuff. Uh -huh. uh, and they're afraid that we're basically walking into, you know, like a Python three or Perl six oh, style right, situation right, right. where we end yeah. up, we end up with something that, that's just unwieldy. Yeah. And my, my major point of my talk is basically this. 
it is in our power as a community to figure out what subset of these large set of new features uh, is actually useful and usable. Okay. And we can do what Douglas Crockford did mm -hmm. after five or six years of fighting the browser wars and a much more abbreviated time frame okay. if we just get together and sort out the parts that we think are genuinely important, which parts are like anti-features or bad design, okay. and to say as a community, we're not going to use these, we're going to use these, and figure out what the new good parts are collectively as a community. Yeah, okay. That sounds like sounds great. So uh, is, the, is, that, is the way that the community does this, uh, I mean, probably lots of different things you can talk about as far as ways to do it, but do we actually try building projects with the new features and then compare it to how it you know how the code looks and feels uh, is that how we go about this or you know? well that's uh, I mean, th that is something that i touched on a little bit mostly in the form of there's really not a good way to use es6 yet okay uh there are tools out there and i spent some time talking about what's out there and you can basically put together something that looks like an es6 environment uh but it's just not finished yet and it won't be finished probably until the end of this year so to an extent, yeah, I mean, you can see things like uh, Ember has uh, done a rewrite of their core code to use the new module system. Okay. Uh, and you can see other things. There, there are some of that, but we really need to get the implementations in place first before yeah. people can really start to play around with that. And that is one of the areas where I do have reservations. I wish that... Uh, in, that we had actual, you know, in the in the RFC process from the IETF, mm -hmm. you have to have two complete implementations oh, of okay. a protocol before it can be ratified into an RFC. Okay. And I wish that uh, that TC39 had a similar principle, but I understand that it's much harder to do in the yeah. JavaScript world. Yeah. So in a way, I'm kind of forcing people to start thinking about what is and isn't going to work before it's fully ready. Okay. And really part of what I'm talking about is we need to be talking about this within the community. Yeah. Like we need to be talking to each other. We need to be like actively looking at this stuff. We need to be very active consumers of the standard okay. instead of, yeah. instead of like just, you know, going to an Axel Rauschmeyer presentation like every three months where he talks about how great all this stuff is going to be. <laughs> to start like, right. I mean, right. no, right. not like, like he's doing extremely valuable work. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But like, we really need to like start actively engaging with this stuff and saying, well, all right, I've got these reservations. Like, can I turn these into concrete, actionable things? Can I show examples of why this is going to be a problem? Yeah. Can I kind of sketch out like how this is going to be tough to leverage? Because that's been really valuable thus far. Yeah. Uh, the 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 module proposal has been extremely controversial, mm -hmm. and it has benefited tremendously. I mean. Uh, Sam Tobin Hodgstadt and uh, Dave Herman may disagree with this because they've been on the pointy end of a lot of this feedback. Mm -hmm. But without the feedback from you know Substack and the Node community and other people and yeah. like the James Burke in yep. the AMD community, yep. I don't think that uh, I don't think that the model standard would be nearly as strong. I mean, it may still have some problems, uh, and it may need further work. But I feel like it is in a much better place than it was before it got that kind of like, like critical dialectic applied to it to get right, all, all right. fancy and lit critty for a second. Um, and I think that that's the thing. Like I, I basically am asking people to 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 start thinking bottom up about this instead of waiting it to be waiting for it to be handed to them top down. Yeah.
Well, that's good. I think that's that's a that's a good approach. Um, and, and yeah, and and it's a more proactive approach as far as not waiting, like you said, waiting for for years before that was done. What Crockford did. So um, does. Uh, does like tracer does that help i mean is i think the big, best toolkit that i've found yet is uh tracer plus um es6 gym plus the es6 module transpiler project okay uh and you there's a lot of stuff that can be done with suite with the, the sweet js the macro system okay. as well yeah um but uh you know and there's a there's a uh I think it's ES6FI, Browserify Transform, that Thorsten Lawrence has turned into a kind of a front end for REPL pad. So you can get kind of like a, a node CLI that allows you to play with a lot of this stuff. Okay. Uh, but, you know, it's a standard that's still in progress. So if you go to uh, Kanga X's ES6 compatibility page, you can see the tracer is still missing a ton of stuff. Really, in some ways, your best bet at this point is probably just to use uh, beta channel builds of Firefox with uh, either Tracer or Suite because there's a lot of the features are already already in okay. uh, in SpiderMonkey. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And then, um, as far as as a community um, teaching people about these things, what do you have any suggestions or ideas on on how that uh, is good? That's thing? really the 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 end prop end like call to action in my talk is that okay. like we need to as a community of educators and like thought leaders although that term kind of mm -hmm. makes me want to throw up <laughs> um, yeah. like as 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 a development community we need to get on top of this and start teaching people the right way to do this from the right. get go right that, like and like I'm not very prescriptive about that I okay. mean. It's it's an easy way to generate heat to get up there and say, oh yeah, I think promises suck, or, or <laughs> yeah, I think promises right, are right. the best thing ever, and everybody should start using them forever, right. or to, to gripe about specific aspects of the design. Um, but in the context of what I want to see happen, that would be counterproductive. Yeah. Like until very recently, I was a tooling developer, right? I worked for New Relic, working on writing stuff that would run inside people's Node apps. So I had to take a kind of a almost taxonomic approach to this stuff where I couldn't really afford to be too opinionated about, you know, frameworks and libraries and things because like it didn't matter what my opinion was about these things. I had to make my code work with it. Yeah. And I think that's a very a very useful perspective to have. Yeah. Um, and really what I want to say is, look, guys, like my the reason why I no longer recommend the good parts to new JavaScript developers is because about half of that book is very useful, hard won experience about how to write JavaScript that is not going to get you in trouble on the web platform. But about half of that is, you know, some mixture of scar tissue and dogma that's kind of calcified over time. Uh -huh. And I don't think that is a useful, like, my opinion is not useful to a newbie. Yeah. Like, giving them the, the tools, the, the mental toolkit that they can use to get up and running and form those judgments themselves is yeah. much more useful. Okay. Yeah. And that's what I want to see happen. Like I, like, I really like Dave Herman's Effective JavaScript. That is the book that I recommend to people who have at least somewhat of a grounding in JavaScript. Okay. Uh, because it doesn't take a, 
it's only mildly prescriptive. It mostly just talks about like here's what the what you can actually do at the standard, and here's like here are the, the you know the warts you may need to know about. But then it leaves it up to you to figure out like you know how to do that, and that's great because you may end up being like a developer in one of the sub communities. You know, jQuery yeah. has a very distinctive style or subset of right. JavaScript that yeah. it uses. Ember and Angular are increasingly kind of evolving their yeah. own idioms for doing these things. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like the best place you can be as a developer is being so that you can recognize these idioms and work with them when you find them and aren't too wedded to any particular style of development or any particular set of features as a whole. So really what we need to do is to identify the landmines, right? Yeah. Like what are the things that are, what is the width of ES6, yeah. right? Yeah. What, is the, what is the thing that, that, that it is very difficult to use correctly and how do we communicate that to people who are just learning the platform in such a way that we don't, you know, block off their development as a developer, but at the same time, don't lead them down down yeah. blind alleys. Right, right. Like, yeah. like one, of the, one of the kind of key points that I want people to take away from my talk is like, don't concentrate on what's cool, concentrate on what is stable and effective. Okay. You know, yeah. like, like be conservative when you're choosing, as, a, as an educator, right. be conservative when you're choosing tools to, to advocate to people. And we want to do this as incrementally as possible. Yeah. Like, again, this comes from like, I used to be a job developer. Mm -hmm. I'm not a Java developer anymore. Yeah. And in fact, the reason for that is because when I started writing Java, which was back in 1995, because I am old, uh, <laughs> I really liked it because it was just dumb enough. Like I had been doing a lot of Perl development because that was what you wrote. You either wrote web stuff in C or Perl back in 1994, 1995. Yeah. And like the thing about Perl is it is an infinitely malleable language, right? And every like that the culture around Perl is like let's just figure out like how we can golf this into like weird bonsai little shapes, and. The result of that was that everybody developed their own style of writing Perl. And it meant that code was effectively write only. And I was working in a web development shop there where we had a lot, we had people who were, you know, holders of the Perl patch pumpkin. And they had like these incredibly bizarre coding styles where they would basically port features from common Lisp into Perl. And like they added exception handling and all this stuff just using like begin blocks, like a lot of like really clever stuff. But the thing is like it made it really difficult for software engineering to yeah, happen, right? right? Right. Team development was not something that was, was really even possible. Yeah. And Java didn't have any of that crap, yeah. right? Like it was all just like, very simple object-oriented software design. Yeah. And over time, they started they started backing away from that. You know, they added collections and to do collections properly. Right. They had to introduce generics, and because they needed to not break backwards compatibility, like the generics had to support type erasure rules. And so you had this you had these notions of subtyping and covariance and contravariance, which are are difficult even for experienced functional programming language yeah. people to, to talk about, like programming language theory people to talk about. Right, right. Uh, and then they added annotations, so they added this other way to like communicate like like meaningful metadata inside the, the code itself. And it got to the point where like to write Java, you had to do all this stuff. People were doing all kinds, like if you've ever done anything with Spring, like it's yeah. like the exact same thing. Like, like there's like 80 different ways to do all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, that's right. like you run into this problem where it's tough for like a middle of the road developer mm -hmm. who is writing code for a living yeah. to 
know what they're supposed to do to not get themselves in trouble. Like right. there, there's a cognitive load to getting, getting yeah, facile with the language and getting experienced and like being able to write good, high quality code by default. That, yeah that wasn't there before they had all these options available to them. Yeah, right. And I'm afraid that something like that may happen to JavaScript. I mean, you see that with some of the transpiled languages, you know, yeah. TypeScript and CoffeeScript bring things to the table, yeah. uh, but they also, they, they fragment the community mm -hmm. and they, uh, they mean that there there's now more than there's multiple ways to to get things done and yeah. i'd like to see us kind of emphasize continuity like, okay. let's incrementally roll the parts in there that make things better in there yeah and and not just use stuff because it's there right no that sounds really good and i think uh i think uh, you also mentioned uh, in the in your talk uh or at least in the the intro uh about the talk that um ES6 is is finishing up uh, sometime this year, yep. uh, and uh, and then seven's already like it's underway. Underway, so that's like I didn't even you know that's that's amazing. You yeah, know, so. well, it's, one of the things that's very <laughs> so. interesting about that is that the process itself is changing between ES6 and ES7. They're putting up a a more formalized notion of what it takes to go from proposing a feature to getting it adopted into the standard. Okay. And one of the best parts about this is because it puts an emphasis on some community development and champions on it, it means that uh, Alan Worf's Brock, the editor of the standard, is less of a serialized resource. Mm -hmm. uh, so we can have, uh, we can have more people uh, working on this, and so he has less work to do, which means that he should streamline the process of ES7's development. But yeah, people are already working on, like some features got pushed from ES6 to ES7. Mm -hmm. uh, some features are, are new proposals. Some things, are, uh, ES6 will be part one of it, and ES7 will be part two. Uh, some of them are actually already rolling out into browsers. Object Observe is oh, yeah, one of those yeah. things. Yeah, that's, that's um, and it's nice to have this notion of stage development yeah. going in there, and it brings its own set of hazards with it. But like, there's nothing that's risk-free when you're when you're trying to figure out yeah. how to uh, evolve a platform that is already seeing such wide and heavy use. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really good. So, so yeah, so I think all these ideas are are awesome, and they they kind of build on each other because uh, once we've done this for ES6, then seven will be right behind it, and so we can kind of continue to the process with seven. And, and I guess they're, are they thinking about a yearly uh, huh. or no? <laughs> no? So, I mean, this stuff is hard and it's complex and I think it's more important to get it right than to get it done on time. Like standards, yeah. standards are sticky, right? Like it that is. was it one is. of the big problems with ES4 and why it never saw widespread adoption. Yeah. Um, and I, Part of the reason I'm arguing in favor of conservatism right now is we're seeing a situation, especially in the node world, where people are building stacks around features that aren't done yet. Uh -huh. Like generators still have some wiggly bits that need to be nailed down. Uh -huh. And uh, the promises implementation in V8 is just broken. Mm -hmm. um, and people are like zero 012, node 012 is going to ship in two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Let's just say. I hope so. <laughs> and, uh, when it's ready. <laughs> and uh, it's because they pulled in a newer version of V8, it's going to have the, that broken promises implementation mm, okay. in it. And so, like, if people build a lot of code relying on that and they end up, you know, inadvertently depending on something that ends up being fixed later on, right. you've got a, a, a problem there. So, 
these things need to have enough examination to ensure yeah. that they're finished. Yeah, they do. And the target for ES7, I believe, is the end of 2016. Okay. But that, I think, was contingent on ES6 being done, being ratified now, like Q2 of, of uh, uh, or actually maybe even the end of Q1 of uh, 2014. Yeah. It was originally supposed to get done sometime towards the end of last year, but whatever. Right. A little, right. The six-month slippage or a year slippage is actually not super bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, no, I don't think... I am, One of the things that we've learned in the Node world is that you don't have to put everything in the language or in the standard library. Yeah. In fact, there's some value to keeping things as stripped down as possible and seeing what the community comes up with. Yeah. Like, the overarching theme of my talk is cow paths. Like, we need to, we need to blaze those trails now. We are the cows, right? Like, we need to, we need to, like, point the, we, yeah. we're actually, we're more like cowboys. Like, we got to point the, we got to point the herd in a certain direction, okay. but then we got to see where they actually go. And then yeah. the standards committee can come along and pave those cow paths into ah, roads. Ah, right, right, right. Yeah, um, that's, that's... And so, to, to do that properly, I think, takes time. And I, I my hope is that once they have ES6 out there, uh, and then they managed to successfully bridge this chasm that is the gap between ES3 effectively, which is what ES5 is. You know, it's not a yeah. big, big set of changes. Right. Uh, and ES6, it will be easier to do more incremental changes going forward. Yeah. Okay. That sounds good. Um, so, yeah, so that kind of takes care of our ES6 subject. I was uh, curious about your new uh, your job at NPM. Is it, what can you tell us about that? And uh, it's like I said at the very beginning, uh, I, my primary responsibility is to be kind of a, a surrogate Isaac. I mean, that's basically what all of us who are doing engineering on the product are going to be doing. Uh -huh. um, and that's going fabulously so far like one of the biggest positive developments that we've seen is that uh, if you saw Isaac's blog post on the NPM blog a couple days ago uh, we've really kind of gotten to the point where the platform is much more the infrastructure is much more stable okay. which means that we can concentrate more on development yeah and we're we're shipping about 10 to 12 million downloads uh, a day at wow. this point. That's yeah, great. Like, like it, the, the, yeah. And the, the curve is just crazy. <laughs> in turn. And a lot of that, I think, is because we are satisfying uh, demand that was being stymied by the, the, the flakiness of the, of the platform. Okay. So we're, all, we're feeling much better about that. Yeah. We've, got a, we've got a really tight DevOps. It's not even team. It's like area emphasis within the company like yep. pretty much all like our, i am on call today uh -huh. uh, we all take turns okay. like, dealing with yeah. that stuff yep um and that means like the fact that that's all kind of stabilized out means that we're all able to focus on building our uh our the things that are actually going to make us money i don't know how much i am qualified to talk about those those plans because those are those are really kind of the, yeah. the founders areas to talk about sure. i can say that one of the nice things about what I'm doing is that I get an opportunity to address a lot of the the pain points that people have had with the CLI for a long time. You yeah. know, we have a really we have a really high quality active uh, open source side of things, and one of the the gratifying things there is that I get to work with people like uh, Dominic Denicola and yeah. Robert Kowalski uh, and Nathan uh, Nathan Zadox, mm -hmm. uh, who are like who are 
helping deal with the, the everyday triage of bugs and are actually helping fix a lot of those bugs themselves. Uh, but it means that I also, like I, since I'm working on this thing pretty much full time, can do things like tackle some of the more gnarled corners of the code base. Because I mean, the NPM product, the, the CLI itself is very complex. It's yeah. probably one of the more right. complex things in Node right now. Yeah. And like, yeah. I want to unbundle, like this is something that Isaac's been working on. Like we were trying to unbundle this into a set of smaller yeah. modules. I would like to see there be a actual API that you can use to get oh. at the NPM functionality. Yeah, right now, it's kind of basically like you're using the CLI yeah. inside JavaScript, and it would be yeah. nice to actually have those things broken down in such a way that they are basically each area of concern within NPM becomes a module of its own. Okay. Uh, and also, it's going to, I'm doing a lot of work right now on this. Uh, Notion of scoped modules. Uh -huh. Isaac published a PR, not PR, but like an issue describing how he had that thing sketched out. And now, yeah. like after looking at the feedback on that and talking to him about it a bunch, I'm going through and like we're all basically implementing pieces of that. Oh, good, good. And it's 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 interesting because it's uh, it doesn't require any changes to the node module system, which is good because the node module system is frozen at this point. Okay. So whatever we come up with has to actually work with the existing tooling. Yeah. And uh, it also has to, we want it to work with, we don't want uh, it to break people's uh, like other private registries or whatever. Like we're oh, trying, right, we're right, trying sure. to we're yeah. trying to keep this stuff all as non-disruptive as possible. Yeah. Uh, so that, it's, it's super fun working on something that has that much visibility, but it's also, that's a little intimidating. Yeah. I mean, this is something that thousands of people rely on to do their jobs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, that's not entirely dissimilar from what I was doing at New Relic, but I grew my product from a bean at New Relic. And while we have, well, New Relic has a couple thousand customers using uh, using its Node offering, some of which are fairly substantial. Uh, it's different than having something that is basically one of the two core pieces of the Node ecosystem being being a, uh, something that I'm now at least partially responsible for. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a bigger stage. Yeah. I'm I'm really enjoying it. It's a phenomenal team. Uh, it's a it's a product that I believe very strongly in. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually was kind of spoiled for choice. <laughs> uh, I was not actually particularly looking to move on from New Relic uh -huh. when, I, when I got approached by NPM. Yeah. Uh, but there were other people I was talking to at the time, and I basically sat down and thought, like, which one would give me the most impact on the Node community? Because uh -huh. honestly, like, I just spent a bunch of time talking about JavaScript, but like, you know, I'm a software engineer. All programming languages in some level are terrible. Yeah. You know, like, and like, yeah. Node itself has a lot of weird, tricksy problems to it. Yeah. But like, the community around it is phenomenal. It I've is. never really participated in a language community like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ruby is very tight knit, as distinct from Rails. Yeah. Rails is a big and somewhat diffused, and at this point, commodified community. Uh, Java was controlled by Sun and then Oracle, so right. it didn't really have it's, an organic yeah. grassroots community. Right. Uh, and Perl has a community, but it's very different yeah. and it's not as broadly based as as the node and, and broader javascript communities have turned yeah. out to be yeah so like being sitting in the middle especially like you know there are two really interesting trends i see going on 
uh, with one of which is kind of the unification of Java and uh, I mean server side and client side development. Like with the advent of tooling like Grunt and Gulp, yep. uh, we're seeing and Broccoli, we're seeing a lot of stuff. At least people using Node to build their 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 distributions, but then you also have uh, Browserify, which is allowing you to basically use the same style of development everywhere. Okay. Uh, and that's a, that, that's really seemed to catch on over the last yeah. six months or so. And the other one is Node in the Enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. Node in absolutely. the Enterprise is huge. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's, it's amazing the companies that are using yeah, it. Yeah, it's happening yeah, it's very fast. Yeah. You know, Netflix. Yeah. PayPal. Yeah. Mastercard, uh, Mastercard. Walmart. <laughs> yeah, Walmart. Uh, yeah. Microsoft. Yeah. You know, Mozilla is using Node for a bunch of its stuff as well. Yeah. In fact, one of the core developers is Trevor Norris is is employed by Mozilla pretty much to work on Node full time. Um, and like that is bringing a, a pretty different vibe to things. Mm -hmm. But it also means that like the that now is a really interesting time to be working on something that's in the middle of all of this right. stuff. Right, it is, it is, yeah, right. Forrest, I, I, I love this talk. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see your uh, your uh, talk at the JSConf and uh, and just appreciate you taking the time to be here. And uh, and how uh, before before we leave, what uh, what's the best place for people to follow you to follow on what you're doing and, and Twitter, uh, Twitter, okay, yeah, I mean like. I do most of my actual development activity on GitHub because you know pretty much everything NPM does is mediated through GitHub, and most of my personal projects are on GitHub. But uh, yeah, if you want to get a really weird mixture of uh, social justice ranting and JavaScript programming language theory ranting and uh, Node inside baseball. Follow me on Twitter. Is the place to do it. <laughs> okay, sounds great. Okay, well, I appreciate you taking the time for us, and uh, and we look forward to your I talk. I hope everybody enjoys my talk and has a good time at the conference. All right, thanks. Appreciate it. Sure. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed this interview with Forrest Norville discussing ES6. The links and show notes are available at CodeWinds.com/seven. If you would like to keep up on the latest in web developer news and training, follow me on CodeWinds.com, where I have a podcast, blog, and video training covering Node and JavaScript. Until next time, this is Jeff Barcheski with CodeWinds. Music by Audionautics dot com.